Leviticus. If you um, have been following us, this is our week uh, 15 or 16, almost four months now, talking about shadows of Golgotha, shadows of Calvary, shadows of the cross in the Old Testament. And um, we started in Genesis. We're going throughout the Old Testament. We started in Genesis, and we have, to refresh your memory here, a couple of images in, in Genesis about the cross of Jesus. Anybody help me remember Genesis 3.15, the promise from the Lord that, to, to Eve that her seed, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, will crush the head of the serpent. Then we'll move to Genesis 3.21, when God slaughtered an innocent animal to clothe evil or sinful Adam and Eve, and that's also a picture of Jesus on the cross. Then we talked about the Ark of Noah, um, a picture of the cross where the wrath of God falls into the Ark, but those who are inside the Ark are safe from the judgment of God. And then we'll move to Genesis 22, when Abraham told Isaac on Mount Moriah that the Lord will provide for himself a lamb for the sacrifice and that's a prophecy about the ultimate lamb of God who's going to come and die on Mount Golgotha so that was in Genesis then we moved to Exodus after that right um, we spent four weeks in Exodus 12 talking about the lamb of the Passover a picture of Christ crucified then we talked about the crossover also a picture of the cross and then we arrived to last three weeks what I have been talking about the tabernacle of meeting, right? And we talked about the furniture in the tabernacle that is a shadow or a picture of the cross. And we highlighted only three pieces of the furniture in the tabernacle from the entrance to the, all the way to the Holy of Holies. The first one was the brazen altar, the bronze altar. That's where the, the sacrifice is being slaughtered to satisfy the wrath of God. And then we talked about the veil, right? And that is a picture of the body of Jesus that was torn on the cross to open the way for us to get into heaven, into the presence of God. And then last week we talked about the mercy seat. Yes, good, good. I was going to preach it again this week, but you guys know it, so we'll move on. Um, the mercy seat, that's the lid that covers the Ark of the Covenant inside the Holy of Holies. And we say this is a picture of Jesus dying for us to satisfy and up-ease the wrath of God over our sins once and for all. Amen? Yes. Now we finished Exodus. Again, we're just picking up the pictures of the cross, the, 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 the shadows of the cross in the Old Testament. Now we arrive to the book of Leviticus. Amen? And I have to make a confession. I became a Christian. I was 12 or 15. I can't remember how old exactly it was. But... After I got saved, I would read the New Testament all the time. And then I go back to the Old Testament and I would read like the easy books, you know, like the uh, historical books and Genesis and stuff like that. And for the longest time, I did not want to read Leviticus. I just didn't see the point, you know, like what is the point of reading so much of technical uh, sacrificial instructions and I won't understand it anyway. I was like, if I'm going to get to that book, I really need to sit down and study it, but I'm not just going to read through it. Amen? And then I found this book uh, by a guy called Harry uh, Ironside. I highly encourage you guys. He's, I referenced him a couple of times in the fine print. I highly encourage you to get that book, if you can. Uh, notes on Leviticus. What is that? Harry uh, Ironside, the name of the guy who writes that book called Notes on Leviticus. He's a pretty well-respected uh, Bible commentator. And what I like about him is that he 
reads the chapter from uh, the book of Leviticus, and he just gives you three, four pages notes on that chapter. So it's like the bottom line, you know, and that's what I wanted. And I read through that book with the book of Leviticus. I tell you, it is amazing. And as you guys are going to see in the next few weeks, it's going to blow your minds away how in the book of Leviticus, out of all books, you'll see so many vivid, amazing pictures of the cross of Jesus. Amen? So we're going to start today, and we're going to start with the sacrifices that in the book of Leviticus we read about. Um, in, from chapter 1 to chapter 7, the scripture tells us about five different sacrifices that God has instructed Moses to offer and they're all offered on that brazen altar, the first piece of furniture that you see in the tabernacle that we talked about three weeks ago. Amen? And each one of these sacrifices actually is a picture of the cross of Jesus or Christ crucified. It just looks at the cross and the sacrifice of Christ on it from a different angle. And in the next few weeks, we're going to try to focus on, on these five sacrifices. And each time, we're going to look at Jesus crucified from a different angle and your mind's going to be blown away. Amen? So, the five sacrifices that we read about from in Leviticus 1 to 7, these are as follows. Let's read them together so I know you follow me. Number one is the burned offering. Number two is the meat or the meal offering. Number three is the peace offering. Number four is the sin offering. Number five is the trespass offering. Now, there's multiple ways you can look at these sacrifices. If you're gonna look as far as um, the blood shed, like if there's blood involved in that sacrifices, then that will cover four sacrifices. The burned, I think the peace, the sin, and the trespass offering. With the exception of the meal or the meat offering, there is no, this one, there's no bloodshed. In the rest of, it, of them, there's always bloodshed in the sacrifice, amen? That's one way you can look at the sacrifices, but I think there is a, a better way to look into how the sacrifices are uh, divided. If you read in the first three sacrifices, the burnt, the meal, and the peace offering, there is a phrase that we read there that we do not read in the sin offering and in the trespass offering, okay? And that phrase is this, that these sacrifices will be a sweet aroma to the Lord. Amen? A sweet aroma to the Lord. So it's mainly what the scripture is telling us this. These three sacrifices are mainly concerned about God, right? They're not really about you and me. It's more about how to please God. Something that God looks into it and takes pleasure. Amen? We don't read these two um, this phrase, a sweet aroma to the Lord in the sin offering and the trespass offering, because the sin and the trespass offering more deals with us, our falling nature, and our sins. You guys follow me? Remember when we talked about the tabernacle of meeting, and we said that the first piece of furniture that anybody will see once they get their foot inside the tabernacle was the brazen altar, right? The altar of bronze. And we say that and after that, you see that the brazen laver, that's the, where you see the water. If you guys remember, we said that this is a picture of how a sinner approaching a holy and a righteous God. First thing is that blood of Jesus that you see on the brazen altar, right? You slaughter the sacrifice, the blood is shed, you confess your sin on it. This is how a sinner can approach God. After the blood, there is the water. That's the step number two, which is a representation of the 
word of God. After you're cleansed by the blood as a believer, you need to be cleansed every single day by the water. You guys follow the, the chronological uh, instructions of that tabernacle, right? But when it comes to the sacrifices, the order is kind of reversed. We don't start by the sin and the trespass offering or, or how a sinners can approach God, but we start with the stuff that pleases the heart of God first. That's why the, very, the first three sacrifices that was mentioned here are the burn, the meal, and the peace offering where the Bible say they are sweet aroma to the Lord. Amen? So when we start the book of Leviticus, we're not starting on what, what is the way for the sinner to approach God, but we're starting with what is God, what is important to God, what is valuable to God, what is that the Lord see and takes pleasure in. You guys follow me? Got, got it? So the sacrifices were starting from what is important to God to what is important to man. When we studied the tabernacle, we just started with what is important to man, how a sinful man can approach a holy God. Amen? This is just an introduction to the five sacrifices. We're going to be looking into each one of them, um, I think, for the next five, six weeks. So let's start with the first one. That is the burnt offering. And we're going to take two weeks in it, this week and uh, not next week, the week after, because it's a lot of stuff that we need to cover I figured you guys would appreciate two short sermons than one really long sermon, right? So we're going to do that. We're going to just have two short sermons in it. And we're going to start from Leviticus chapter 1. We're going to read Leviticus 1, 1 to 17. I'm going to read that to you guys. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. Anybody remembers from last week where precisely in the tabernacle the Lord speaks? From the cover, from the mercy seat, exactly. From the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the Lord speaks. Saying, verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, how anybody can bring that. You guys realize that, right? Anyone can bring this burnt offering. If anyone can bring an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of a livestock of the herd or of the flock. Now, I'm going to start with verse 3. Kind of like three different categories here to that burned offering. The first category is if it's of the herd. Verse 3, if the offering is a burned offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head um, on the head of the burned offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Verse 5, he shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar um, that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting and he shall skin the burned offering and cut, look at the instructions, he shall skin the burned offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, uh, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire, then the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order of the wood uh, that is on fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entails and the legs with water. The priest shall burn the, all on the altar as a burned offering, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. You guys follow that? We're just going to go over the general instruction and more of introduction today. We're going to dig into the, all the details next week. So the way it works with that bull is this. So uh, 
the, the person, anybody can bring up, uh, that bull to, to offer it before the Lord as a burnt offering. And when they bring it to the tabernacle, that they slaughter that bull, and they kind of divide it into multiple parts. Most of the bull goes on the altar, right? Right away. Now, the entails and the legs, they take that aside and wash it. You guys follow that? So everything is on the altar. They take the entails and the legs, wash it first, and then they put it on the altar. And the whole thing is burnt to God. The whole animal. They don't, nobody takes anything out of that animal except one part only is not burned to the Lord, and that is the skin. They keep that skin away. Eventually give it to the priest who, who sacrificed that bull. We're just going through the rituals now, just to understand how it works, and then we'll go into the details next week. So that's good. Now let's move on to the second category. If a person is poor, he cannot afford a bull. What they can do? Here it is. If they're poorer, then if his offering is of the flock, a sheep or a goat. Now that's a little bit cheaper because he cannot afford a bull. As a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its entails, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar, but he shall wash again the entails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all on the burnt offering. Do you see that? All. Everything need to go back on the burnt offering. Um, and it shall be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. It's pretty much the exact same instructions. If you have a bull or if you have a sheep or a goat, same thing. You put everything on the altar except the entails and the legs. This washed first with water, then put on the altar. The skin is kept away for the priest for later. That's the one thing that is not being burned. And the only difference between the bull and the... Um, the, the sheep is this. This is the only thing I'm, I'm noticing. The bull is slaughtered by the altar, but the sheep is slaughtered by the north side of the tabernacle. I'm not sure if that means much. Uh, I don't know. But that's the only difference I see between these two um, ceremonies of how to do the burnt offering. Now, if the person is even poorer, they cannot afford, um, they cannot afford a, a sheep or a goat. They're really poor. That will take us to number, the category number three. And if the burnt offering, uh, the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The Lord shall bring it, the priest shall bring it to the altar, rig, it, it, rig off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar and, and he shall remove its crop with the feathers and cast it in beside the altars on the east side into the place of the ashes. Then he shall um, split it at its wings, but he shall not divide it completely, and the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is um, on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the bird is kind of like totally different, right? In, in a way, that the ceremonies that goes by it. You need to uh, break its neck, and then you need to take all the feathers out, Put it, dump it by the east side of the altar, and then you need to cut that bird, drain the blood, cut the bird, but don't cut it completely, and then you put the whole thing on the altar and burn the whole thing, okay? So you guys follow, this is just the rituals, the ceremonies of how this burned offering is offered to the Lord. Uh, all is symbolic, or most of it all is symbolic, and then we'll talk about that more next week, but we're just going to highlight small things this week. 
So let's just talk about the burned offering in general today and highlight a couple of small things, and we'll finish that next week. So the burned offering, the word burned offering in Hebrew literally means to ascend, something just going up. That's, that's, that's the Hebrew word for it. It literally means go up in smoke. That's all what it is. And this burned offering is probably one of the oldest sacrifices that we can hear about or read about in the whole scripture. It's in the Bible even before, even before God instructed Moses in the book of Leviticus to offer that burned offering. The first time in the scripture we hear about the burned offering is actually in Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. After Noah and his family got out of the ark, the, the Bible said that they offered a burned offering to the Lord. Probably Abel before that offered a burned offering to the Lord, but the Bible doesn't say explicitly it's a burned offering, okay? So the first time explicitly we see it's a burned offering, that was in Genesis chapter 8. So that you guys see this is way, way, way before Moses, way before the children of Israel, way before the book of Leviticus. The one time also in Genesis 22 when God commanded um, Moses, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 22, when God commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac and offer him as a burned offering. Again, so that ritual of a burned offering is well established even way before Israel, way before the book of Leviticus, way before God gave the instruction to the children of Israel to offer that burned offering. In Leviticus chapter 1, we see that this is a volunteer act, or a volunteerly act. Somebody want to bring a burned offering to the Lord, right? That's the whole point. If anyone, God said, want to bring a burned offering, this is how you need to do it. Now, apart from people bringing voluntarily burned offering to the Lord, either the bull, the sheep, or the goat, or the bird, God has commanded that the nation of Israel will offer burned offering multiple times throughout the year. That is aside from when an individual want to bring a burned offering to the Lord that we're reading about in Leviticus chapter 1. You guys follow me? Yeah. Here is the incidence in the scripture where God commanded the nation to offer the burnt offering apart from the individual voluntarily act. We see every morning and every evening in Exodus 29 and in Numbers 28, God commanded that the nation, the high priest, bring a burnt offering in the morning, burn it on that altar for 12 hours, and then he has to change his clothes, clean that altar, then put another one from the evening all the way to the morning. So 24 7, 24 7, 365 days a year, there is always a burned offering on that brazen altar, the very entrance of the tabernacle that is burning before God 24 7. We touched base on that before. The symbolism here is this. God can never even look at the children of Israel or approach them or hear their prayer or even come close to them unless they're covered under that burned offering that is the fire ascending always before God. And that is a symbolism of how we can never approach God and God can never come close to us unless we're under the covering of the sacrifice of Christ that he has done for us on the cross. Amen? If Jesus will just take his covering one second, then the wrath of God will come on us and consume us. Amen? It is the coverage of the atonement and the burnt sacrifice of Christ on the cross that is keeping God and us in a relationship. Amen? On top of the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice each Sabbath, so that's once a week, 
there has to be another burnt offering on top of the morning and evening. In the beginning of the month, number 28, every Passover, that's once a year, that's number 2819. Add the new grain, fresh fruit offering, that's a, a feast, that a festival that the children of Israel have. And when they celebrate that, they bring another burnt offering. At the Feast of uh, Trumpets, that's in Numbers 29, another burnt offering. At, at every new moon, that's once a month, I guess, that will be another burnt offering. So these on top of each other, these are not replacement for one another. You guys follow me? So all these burnt offerings need to be burning throughout every day, throughout the year. They have to offer these burnt offerings as a nation. On top of that, God commanded in Leviticus 1 that individuals also have the choice, this is a volunteer thing, to bring the burned offering and burn it before the Lord. Amen? Now, what is the point of that burned offering and how is that a picture of Jesus? Do you guys see, we read uh, Leviticus chapter 1. Is there any mention of the word sin in, in the whole chapter? There is nothing except one small exception here in verse 4. That I could see. I couldn't see anything else. In verse 4, if you follow me, it says, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. But it's not for a particular sin. You guys see that? And when it comes to the sheep and the goat and the bird, there is no mention of the atonement at all. So the idea here of the burnt offering is it is not mainly to cover a sin or an act, or a word, or something that the person did or say that provoked the wrath of God. Amen? Even in one exception here, in verse 4, it talks about general atonement, just general acceptance. You know, it's, it's not like the person is aware of breaking the law of God in a certain way, and he's trying to make it up with God. It's more general atonement, general acknowledgement of the nature of sin, but it is not really to cover one particular sin on one particular act before God, right? That is the whole purpose of the burnt offering. The burnt offering simply kind of like, thank you. That's, that's what the person is telling God. Thank you, God, for being so good to me. I know I'm unworthy in my own, but I know that you are good and you're faithful, and I just love you so much that I have decided to bring you a burnt offering and just offer it to you, whether it's a bull or a sheep or a bird, depending on what the person can afford. It's literally just simply Thank you to God. Amen? And that's why when it's offered to God, the Bible says it is a sweet aroma to the Lord. It's a thank you to God. It's, it's out of gratitude and gratefulness to God that a person is offering this burnt offering. But again, it is not for a sin or to make things right with God. Amen? This is more somebody already right with God. He's just trying to say thank you to God. Amen? And the one except again... We see that this um, sacrifice was, the whole thing is burned out, right? There is nothing is kept. Like when we read about the other sacrifices, you'll see that God would command that the priest can have some of the meat from the sacrifice. Some other sacrifices has that. But the burnt offering doesn't have anything like that. The whole thing, the whole sacrifice, except the skin, is offered and burned all of it to the Lord. Amen. Because again, it is a thank you. And when he wants to thank God, he's just saying, God, take it all. Everything is yours. Nothing in it is mine. You take it all because I'm just so grateful to you. That's why the whole offering is burned on the altar with the exception of the skin. Amen? Good? 
We follow now? Okay. And this burnt offering is a picture of Christ. Actually, Paul tells us, point blank, as clear as it can be, that this burnt offering is an image, a shadow of Christ and him crucified for us. Where do we get that from? It's in Ephesians 5.2. Look at what Paul said. He said, and walk, Ephesians 5.2, and walk in the way of life, just as Christ did what? Loved us and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as what? A sweet aroma to the Lord. The exact same phrase that was mentioned in the book of Leviticus about the burnt offering and the peace offering and the meal offering. That this is a sweet aroma to the Lord. And in a way, what Paul was telling his readers is this. Remember in the Old Testament, the burnt offering, when the whole thing, with no restraints except the skin, was offered to God, and the whole thing will go up in flames so that it can be a sweet aroma, something that is extremely pleasing to God. Remember that? And the, Paul said, that is exactly Jesus. Jesus offered himself on the cross as an offering, as a sacrifice to be a burned offering to God. Amen? How does that work? God created Adam and Eve. Amen? And God had good plans for them. God is a good God and he created the human race to enjoy his goodness because he's such a good and gracious God. So Adam comes in and Eve comes in and they messed it up. And instead of glorifying God, they disobey God. Amen? And they live a life mostly of disobedience. Uh, the fallen human race, most of us do that. We just live a life mostly of disobedience. None of us is 100% glorifying God in that sense that God can look at us and say, Man, I am so well pleased with you. You're doing everything right. Every thought you have, every word you say, every action you do is so well pleasing to me. I am so pleased with you. I'm so glorified with you. You're like a burnt offering. Everything is burning in you so I can be glorified and I can be pleased. God can never say nothing about that about any of us. Amen? Amen. Except one person and one person only. That twice in the scripture God say, this is it. This is the one in whom I'm well pleased. Any clue? Who would that be? It's the Lord Jesus. Amen? He walked a sinless and perfect life. Every single day, every single second of the day, Jesus was a burnt offering that was 100% pleasing unto God. Amen? And not only his life, it's just God would look at him every single day. It's like, I am just well pleased. You always choose me. You always glorify me. Every decision you make, every word you say, every thought you have, every action you do, you do that so you can glorify me. Amen? So the life of Christ, his conduct on the earth was literally a burnt offering to God because through it, God had smelled that sweet smelling aroma, something so pleasing unto him. Amen? And when men failed to glorify God through our works, our deeds, our thoughts, there came the second man, and his name is Jesus, who did glorify God. And he proved that God can be glorified in spite of every attack from the enemy, in spite of the, the enticement of the world. There is a man who can actually please God 100%. Amen? But Jesus did not stop pleasing God in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane or right before the cross. As a matter of fact, precisely Paul said that he offered himself as a sacrifice, as an offering to God, not to redeem our sins, right? He didn't say that in Ephesians. He didn't say, 
Look at this. Let's read it again. Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in the way of life just as Christ loved us. He's talking about loving us, right? And gave himself up for us as in an offering and a sacrifice to redeem us from our sins, right? Was that the purpose? No, no, no. It has nothing to do with us. He offered himself as an offering and a sacrifice to be what? A sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. What Paul is telling us this, yes, Jesus did redeem us from our sins. And yes, he was our sin offering and our trespass offering, but he also was our burnt offering. He's the one who would be, God, I'd rather choose the cross and go through all the pain and the agony and the disrespect and the shame and the torture of the cross. So at the end of the day, you will be glorified. Amen? Even if no one will get saved, Jesus said, that's good enough for me. If God will just look at this sacrifice and say, I am well pleased. This is a sweet aroma to me. This is good enough for me, Jesus said. Amen? And Jesus in that sense was our burned sacrifice on the cross. Even if nobody will ever get saved, guess what? God is still glorified because of the burned offering that was offered on the cross of Calvary for him once and for all. To atone for the sin of every single falling human being. Amen? And that's also what Paul kind of told us in Philippians 2, 6 to 8. Actually, if we go back to verse 5, if you remember, we talked about this, page, this phrase Verse 5 goes like this. Have this uh, for actually even before that say, put others need before your own, right? And then he said, have this mindset that was in Christ Jesus. That's verse 4 and 5 before 6, right? So think about it. Paul said, put others needs ahead of your own, okay? Other interests ahead of your own. And then he said, we have an example of one, someone who did just that. He put other person need ahead of his own. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul was telling us is this. Jesus put the needs of God in a way to glorify God and exalt him above his own needs. And that's why he came down to earth and he went to the cross. Not to, to, he didn't want to avoid the cross even though it was so torturous because he put the glorification of God above his own personal needs. And he thought that the cross can be simply endured as long as God will be glorified. Amen? And that is precisely what the burnt offering is all about. That's why verse 6 and 8, Philippians 2, 6. Again, Paul is talking about how Jesus put God the Father ahead of his own needs. And we said this, verse 6. Who? Jesus, being in the very nature God, just on the bar with the Father, did not consider equality with God something that he can grasp into for his own advantage. What Paul was saying is this. He didn't want to hang out in heaven and just not worry about us because that would be better for him, right? Instead of coming down, being a slave like you and me, and then going to the cross, it's much easier to stay in heaven, hang out, and let all the angels worship you, right? That would have been easier for him, but he did not want to hold on to equality with God for his own personal advantage because he put the glory of the Father above his own needs and what is best for him, amen? Because he was our burnt offering. And then in verse 7, he says, rather he made himself nothing we talked about this passage before by taking the very nature of a slave and having been made in the human likeness and being found in the appearance of man he humbled himself by becoming what obedient obedient to who 
understood God, correct, obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, the death of the cross. Do you guys see that? What Paul is saying over and over and over again is this, Christ is our burnt offering who didn't think that holding onto his heavenly glories is good if that is not pleasing to God. Amen? So he left all of that. He came down to earth and that was not even good enough for him. He wanted to be obedient to the Father even if that means to die a shameful and graceful death that he died on the cross. Amen? And Jesus was our perfect burnt offering in his life and in his death. He just lived and died to be a sweet smelling aroma to the Father. Amen? And that's the image that we see in the burnt offering. The week after, we'll, two weeks, we'll go into all the details and the symbolism in that. But let's just close our eyes and pray. Amen?